0: Tessa, Baguardo, Ada had to some my more Tessa, Baguardo Ada Aparuta desangamatasatavara sang a Mas ye Bamunjantu This is the observance night and uh, we have about three weeks left of this vasa. Mm. So just as an exercise in awareness, what right now what is the vasa? Perception, isn't it? Memory, memories arise. In and wasa, three weeks from now, the future, which is in the present. Thinking about the end of us, day Katina's. These haven't happened yet. The future. These things are likely to happen, but maybe the, who knows what will happen. The world might end before the end of the Vasa. <laughs> Just to reflect on the way it is, future is what hasn't happened yet, so we project, you know, we end of Vasa, Katinas, next year. It'll be the spring, the autumn equinox in a couple of days, <clears throat> when the days and nights are even, and then it goes into days get shorter and the nights longer. And then the beginning of Asa, the memory, when we made our determination and everything that's happened up to this moment. <coughs> so memory, memories arise according to conditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wouldn't be thinking about the beginning of Vasa right now if I didn't bring up the subject. So conditions for recalling the beginning of Vasa are here. So that memory will arise. This is a way of reflecting on the way it is. Uh, Always returning to the moment, the here and now. (coughs) So then, memory, we remember only certain things, we don't remember everything that's happened during this vasa. Just uh, the more, maybe the pleasant or the Most difficult things that have happened to you during this time, you might remember. Future, who knows what? Enlightenment, uh, finding true bliss and happiness, uh, might end up in total despair, suicidal. Might be a terrorist attack on Amravati. Anything, you know, anything you can think of could happen, possible. Martians coming or Venusians, UFOs. You know, you can even make up total kind of absurd fantasies about it if you want. But in terms of right now, the future is what we don't know, is it? If it's not the future then, this perception, the word future, the future is about the the unknown, the potential possibility. <clears throat> now this establishes this awareness, this is the way it is, the Dhamma, the way the Dhamma is the truth of the way it is. Well, if you keep reflecting like this, then you break down your <coughs> your illusions about the reality of time. You know I guess that we we live in a society that believes totally in time as reality. Where this is the Western world is uh, you know very proud of history, keeping records of the past, preserving they there. always trying to preserve everything of the past any old horrible old house that is any age <laughs> has to be preserved <laughs> A few years ago ten years ago they were trying to preserve the first slum in England up in Yorkshire <clears throat> history, you know, it, it gives us a sense of continuity. It's like your own personal history, doesn't it? makes you feel like you're some, you've been somebody, a real person, because you have a birth certificate, a passport, and you have memories of, you know, when you were a child, when you went to school, went to work, so forth. And these, these are, <coughs> give us a sense of being somebody that has continuity in time. And so in awareness this dissolves into nothing and that can be pretty frightening for many, for most people I think, when their egos start falling apart. Because uh, you know it's it's like you're, you're emotionally very, it's terrifying it's even better to, you know, to hold on to terrible memories. At least gives you a sense of being somebody that was abused and so forth, and treated badly. <laughs> that's somebody. That's a some memory of being. You know, that if you get a lot of abuse, then it does create a sense of of being somebody who gets abused. So even the even the the difficulties of life, when we hold on to the memories, and <clears throat> create this sense of a of a permanent personality, a soul that, that has a, has a history to it. Fascinating about previous lives, isn't it? We become fascinated by what were my previous lives, and uh, because that that's interesting to think of. You somebody can, can read your aura and you can figure out you were, you know, uh, somebody in China or India or Rome, you know, during the ancient times. You know, several monks have gone to Rome into the Colosseum and remembered being, being killed by lions or wild animals. <laughs> <laughs> so that it gives you a sense of having been somebody in the past. So right now, what are you? Can you find yourself? You know, can you find? Is there is there a memory that that you can sustain? You know, even a previous life memory of being eaten by lions in the Colosseum, or or yesterday, or the. The greatest uh, moment of your life, if you remember it, can you sustain anything like that for very long? <clears throat> or being abused, or unloved, or mistreated? So I don't know about you, but I can't. I've tried. <laughs> the uh, just to see if I could do it. You know. Just as you begin to, to see just the, the evanescence of memory. There's nothing much to it. Except when we grasp it and believe in it, and uh, and make it. We can, we can create things around memory. So right now, say, with this reflective or intuitive awareness. You know, I can't find anybody because uh, you know there's no me- the memory I'm not I'm not uh, I can see through the limitation of memory I am not looking for myself as some kind that I remember being anything and I can't create some something and believe in that either so I can't find the personality that I can say is really mine. The body, you begin to see, it's is just is like, you know, the flowers in the garden or anything that grows and, uh, it, you know, lives on this planet. It's just a condition in nature. So at this moment, then there's, you reach this. You begin to recognize, realize this empty point, still point of pure awareness. I can't find Ajahn Sumedho or anything like. That. It doesn't mean anything anymore. And yet, you know, if I cling to the, to the, the this name Ajahn Sumedho or whatever, then it. Then I can uh, you know, I can create a a scenario about me as a personality that ordained and and did this and that the monastic life. We have quite an interesting lot of memories to to uh, you know, entertain you all about my life as a sumato. But then the reality of this moment there's I can't find it. You know, there's this And and then a lot of the memories that I would tell others, I only tell you the stuff I want you to hear. It's a selected biography of Sumato. So these are not trustworthy, you know, know, these are not anything to to uh, develop that much interest in or commitment to is oneself as a person or a physical being, even. It's important to, to recognize its limitations, not to despise or deny or reject, but to recognize the way it is. So I've been in uh, Norway for the past week. That's a perception, isn't it? Everybody knows Norway is a country in Scandinavia. Northern Europe. And so uh, they can talk about my experiences in Norway. <coughs> and so that Norway now is a memory. Even when I was there, you know, I'm, what am I doing? It's, it's just memories, perceptions, right everybody there in Norway believes they're in Norway. So we all <laughs> agree on that. <laughs> and, and, <so laughs> it's, uh, and we call, and we just like we call this England, don't we? We all agree to call this place England. Uh, it actually doesn't have a name except we give it one. <clears throat> right now Norway is, uh, is is a memory for, for most of you it's an abstraction you know if you've never been there you don't have any memory of it except reading about it and seeing it on a map. And then we have certain perceptions of what Norway is about. Snow and skiing and uh, what, what kind of when you would say Norway what kind of perceptions arise <clears throat> so investigating how how the mind is you know because these we you know we we give you can you know in the world today everybody totally committed to their delusions you know the the uh, the war and, uh the American occupation of Iraq, uh, Tony Blair, George Bush. These are all perceptions of the mind. And, uh, and yet we can get very indignant or excited or wound up just by saying these names. By nowadays, as most people I know say George Bush. And the, you know, you feel this tension arise. <laughs> it's only, you know, two words W. <clears throat> <Dubia. laughs> you can't say W anymore, they're going tense. <laughs> or Tony. Tony is call common name, but now say Tony and everybody. You know, can't trust that guy. They're just noting these reactions, not condemning or saying you shouldn't have them, they're just observing the way it is, how, how things can affect us, how the emotions are created around the liking, disliking, approving, disapproving. In Norway, they, they had uh, the Thai ambassador invited myself and Ajahn Panya Saro. And so we had, you know, kind of red carpet treatment. Paying in the embassy and in Oslo, and a chauffeured Mercedes Benz. And <laughs> I just black sedan. Very impressive. and. Uh, then the uh, ambassador was with us all the time, took a great deal of interest. He's quite interested in meditation. In fact, he's been on retreats here. Well, that's good to see, is to see that, that uh, a Thai ambassador, who has a lot of duties and you know, is, is high up in the social order, begins to see through. You know, he's uh, he's uh, you know awakened to all the foolishness and pointlessness, and yet he's in a in a, you know has a good job and highly regarded and interesting life. And yet there comes a point where it's never enough. Just to have you know high status and wealth and success and all the rest. Uh, in, in, on the worldly plane. It's interesting, Norway seems as, you know, an almost a perfect country, because we, um, we were there just in, when the weather's very nice. You know, I don't know how perfect it is in the winter, but in the autumn, it's incredibly beautiful, uh, very clean, much cleaner than England. Uh, like Oslo, is a uh, you know you could eat off the pavement so clean and uh, you don't see litter and plastic bags lying around like you do in, in London and uh, everything seems to you know be much you know, well ordered and um, friendly place very lovely city beautiful fountains and parks the one park that uh, that we've enjoyed was the Big Land Park, yeah. which is quite famous, well, you might know about it. He was a sculptor who created this park and all these uh, very impressive granite sculptures of, of human beings in various stages of emotion and action, movement. Uh, they have this huge column in the middle and, you know, this kind of like a, a mound and this huge column of human bodies sculpted in one piece of granite very you know, like this, almost as high as this temple ceiling and uh, and all these figures of humanity men women old men and old women and children and babies and corpses uh, all kind of on top of each other in various ways in various, you know, old naked figures in these, kind of sculpted on top of each other in a most amazing way. So it's like all the, this incredible bit of uh, interesting art, really, carved out of a solid piece of granite. Very skillful, very skillfully done. And then uh, surrounding this, this column, all these kind of gargantuan figures of men and women, uh, all nude uh, in various poses of despair or in love or anger or depressed or related or uh, the children, uh, old people, Thin people, fat people, everything there, and then here, everywhere these these figures, uh, huge granite figures are, and and, and children are climbing up on top of them. <laughs> <coughs> so then, in the same part, the same artist developed the, the fountain at the center. The Norway, thing, they seem to. In Oslo, most beautiful fountains, water fountains in the park. Uh, they're quite original, very beautiful. This one is a, these, uh, it's done in bronze. Uh, it has these kind of very strong figures of men holding up this huge kind of disk with the water coming up and flowing over and then surrounding it is in a square. The, the very stages of birth and death of human men and women in bronze and they have these kind of in trees, the tree figure, the tree figure and then the, the children or the men and women somehow related in this tree and the tree is the kind of the, the continuous theme with the human figures, you know, in them or, or trying to get out of them or hanging on to them or in, in forms of children, youth, old age, and death. There's even one with a ghost in it. One tree has a ghost in it. So it, it's a good contemplation if you like reflecting on on these things, because it it's a very humanistic park. And then that's what I found in in Oslo was. Uh, Everywhere, there's, there's figures of human beings everywhere, in all the parks, where we go, the naked human beings. Uh, children or whatever, <laughs> and uh, they seem to, you know, it's a country that seems to have kind of um, elevated the, the sense of being human to uh, be their kind of peak of cultural Achievement. You don't get the impression it is a highly religious country. You know that that spiritually, it it doesn't seem all that tuned in. The churches look pretty empty and like museums. And uh, and then with all these figures in the Big Land Park that are, you know, doing all these various things, these passionate poses or depressed or, or angry, or men fighting or or whatever. There's no, uh, there, nobody's ever created a Buddha image. I've noticed this in, in Western iconography, even in Christian iconography, there's no kind of equivalent to um, a Buddha, Buddha Rupa. It's just contemplating that the, that the Buddha Rupa is a, is a kind of, to me, a kind of ultimate achievement in presenting the human form in, in perfect balance, isn't it, where the eyes are open, uh, there's composure, there's, you know, it's not depressed, or angry, or uh, laughing, hilariously uh, but calm and clear and balanced a sense of emotional balance and and uh, equanimity enlightenment, the human form that had that where the the uh, consciousness is no longer clung to out of ignorance <coughs> so in uh, this way the the uh, the Buddha icon is, to me, a kind of the ultimate product of, uh, you know, that comes out of contemplation, reflection, and experience. So, in, uh, you know, in we we're used to the passionate forms in the uh, European. Culture, aren't we the the warriors and the kings and the queens and the and the uh, scientists and the the uh, you know everything from gnomes to dwarfs to fairies and, and whatever variations on on human form in either uh, exaggerated or or photographic likenesses. Uh, the human form is, uh, you know, is is the vehicle that we all are experiencing at this moment. So, as, you know, then, then the when we when we go into ex- take on the the position, say, of ideals, you know, of becoming something becoming the king or the warrior or the, the queen or the the common man or the whatever whatever role you you incline to you know on a personal level then we tend to develop into that we become like that whatever we grasp we become what we're grasping so if we're you know, if we feel despair and hopeless, then, then we become someone who's depressed. If we want to become a you know, a warrior, one who fights and is heroic, then we have to do things to prove that we we are that way, the identity of a hero. And yet, how many heroes, you know, you, you might be sculpted and put into a public park with a great hero, but the, the man or woman themselves, how can you hold on and be a hero 24 hours a day? You know, the, the, you, can, you can make it out of granite, which can last hundreds of years, but the actual moment is very brief of the joy, the kind of exultation of of being heroic is not a not a condition that you can sustain. It's very brief and then it's gone. Being a winner, a champion. Mm. So then if your if your things you're grasping are so high up, you know, the higher they are the the, the, you know, the more difficult they are to sustain. Uh, so if you're too refined and too special, then it, it, it's uh, hard to maintain that, the illusion of being that for very long. So then we kind of sink into a just common, just a nobody, I'm just a nobody, just an ordinary guy, really. You know, I have special talents, done all right, and uh, getting by, and that's what we often hear in in England, you know, people just committed to a level of kind of mediocrity (laughs) as themselves, because at least that's more sustainable, isn't it, (laughs) than having to always be the hero, the champion. So, uh, you know, that's hard work, sustaining that illusion of the, the extremities. Imagine you go into the hell realm, being really evil would be a hard one to sustain. You know, if you really committed to being the most evil human being on the planet. Um, but I think the, the miserable states seem to last longer than the, than the ethereal ones. <laughs> not fair, is it? But it is just the way it seems. <laughs> like heaven, you know, a more, uh, five minutes of happiness you know, is very brief. It's like a second and it's over. Five minutes of misery is like an eternity. Like when you're looking at the clock waiting for the bell to ring. Five minutes and your legs are achy. And you, just be patient, five minutes is not very long, five minutes have gone by and you look at the clock, only one minute. (laughs) And then you start hating the monk in charge of the bell because you think he's doing, not bringing it deliberately to torture you, you start projecting. So by by even grasping the fact that well, I'm just a nobody, an ordinary guy with, you know, that, that is also uh, created. That's a cre- created condition. It's not the way it is. Oh, we might see ourselves in more negative terms even. It's like, I'm hopeless, I'm no good, I'm can't do anything right, and that and we get into really depressive mental states. And it's interesting, the ambassador said that Norway has the highest suicide rate in Europe. So I thought, you know, this is perfect a place to live in as you could find on this planet. Why isn't everybody happy? Yeah, it's well-run, good government, Welfare system from cradle to grave, take care of you no matter what. Wealthy, clean, beautiful, democratic, uh, sounds, you know, sounds as good as you, you can find, and yet has a high suicide rate. Why is that? Why would, if, if everything was so so nice like that, why would people want to Kill themselves. But it's strange. That's that's what happens, isn't it? The, the higher suicide rates are usually in the affluent affluent world. <laughs> and this, because uh, you know, if you one thing about uh, being poor and where you have to strive to survive. There's a purpose to your life, isn't it? You know, if you if you've just gotta, you know gotta forget yourself and just try to find enough rice to feed yourself and your family for the day. You can't you can't think about life all that much and how you know about yourself. You've gotta put some effort into just basic survival. <coughs> Not that I'm promoting poverty. As, as, uh, <laughs> I'm just reflecting on when, when life becomes too easy, and there's no challenge, and we can easily drift into, and there's no spiritual goal in it. You're just, you know, you're just looking for happiness and, and uh, you know, you ease and comfort and exciting things and and romance and adventures and all this gets very boring after a while. Just this endless pursuit of happiness and seeking all the time for some some kind of pleasure through the senses or or through power or through um, you know just through grasping the conditioned realm the samsara it just after a while if there's no if there's nothing beyond it, it becomes rather dreary. Like as you get older, too, you see how, you know, you've seen enough and you're a bit weary of it all. You've seen seen the same things over and over again, and the kind of stupidity uh, of your own mind, conditioned mind, and the, and the society you're in. <coughs> so and you become, you have this nipita, this kind of world weariness. So the Buddha, you know, encourages us to reflect and know the world is the world. And this means what we create, out of ignorance. It doesn't mean the planet Earth. In the, the, Buddhist terms, when the Buddha talks about the end of the world, he's not talking about Armageddon. Uh, in, the, in the sense that we mean that, but it, it's pointing to the world we create, because each one of us lives in our own world, you know, and you begin to recognize you create the world that you're living in. If you're in Norway, or England, or Thailand, or wherever, you, and, and the kind of memories, and, and the sense of yourself, your history, your status, all these are uh, things you create and recreate, keep, keep, and grasping and believing in. So we can live our lives just seeking adventures and challenges. Even though the, like adventure, I, li- I like adventures. See, so it's always nice to have an, an adventure to look forward to. So this is, and even in old age, you know, I can't, I'm not so fit anymore. So I'm not, but uh <laughs> I, mean, I do. I went to the uh, uh, museum in Oslo where they have all the where the expeditions of the Arctic, and they have the boat, the big boat, the Fram that that crossed tra- the northern Northwest Passage, and had all these photographs and. <coughs> I find it's just incredibly interesting, you know, the Arctic having, you know, been there last May, and then then this this kind of intensity of effort that the, like, Nansen, people like that put into finding the the Northwest Passage in the early part of last century. And uh, they can be iced in, you know, caught up in the north all winter long in the freezing cold and it shows the boat is completely covered with ice and snow and, and just, you know, being stuck not knowing if you're ever going to get out of the, this and, uh, and yet there's something exciting about it and yet you have to be patient because, you know, you, you're going to spend six months frozen, in a, you know, in a frozen ship uh, surviving. There is a level of purpose to one's life then, isn't it? To survive. When you're on the edge and you're going to survive and get out of there, there's some kind of thrust to one's life, meaning, you know, winning, achieving, being the one who, who finds the Northwest Passage, who goes to the get, find, gets to the North Pole first. That gives one a purpose, but going back to Oslo, sitting in your nice, lovely flat and with its central heating and double-glazed windows, <laughs> you want to kill yourself, no meaning anymore. <laughs> because if that's all you have to look forward to, isn't it, It's just, central heating, and thick carpets, and pickled herring, and (laughs) it's kind of, you know, it's it's nice when you don't have those things, but once you have them, then they become meaningless. So in, the, the monastic life, you know, being a Buddhist monk, that's an adventure. Because you, you get frozen in sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you go through various things. But the whole point, isn't it? It's got a purpose for this realization. um, at least for me, this has been been a great adventure because of the the way my mind works, you know, just noticing what a tyrannical superego I have and having to learn how to understand that and how to not get caught not get hooked by it, because it's very powerful and it's supported by cultural conditioning and, and the way everyone thinks anyway. It's not just some kind of neurotic, freaky thing of mine. It's, it's very much conditioned by uh, society and the, the family and ethnic background that I'm from. The sense of self and, uh, and, and the judgment, judgmental side. Incredible critic that uh, that uh, complains and and uh, criticizes endlessly me. So living with this has not been, you uh, know, not been an easy ride. Being having these these conditions in, in consciousness because. Uh, even though to you I might look like an easygoing character, uh, you know, it's it's not it's not been easy because it's a constant challenge to not get hooked or to get hooked to, to to wake up to that and, and once you recognize that the the hooks are your own attachments. You know, it's not like anything's hooking me, it's just how I attach to to those habits of mind, the critical faculty or the emotional habits that I have how so, I'm so ashamed of a lot of them some of the emotional habits you know not because they seem so stupid and immature or you know the vanity and conceit or the the uh, these kind of mental states, you know, are humiliating, embarrassing, and, uh, you know, because one doesn't want to be seen and the hopes other people don't notice, because we have the conceit of wanting to be somebody, you know, an image of something in the society where you, you people uh, look up to you and, and respect you and like you. And then your, your fear of of being rejected or being criticized or humiliated in some way by the society or by others or even one other person. Like being humiliated is brings out rage in me. Somebody humiliates me. I feel I can you know I could if if I didn't respect the Bhana barter precept i could easily be a murderer i felt like murdering people sometimes especially when when humiliated <clears throat> so and then so that they they um, and yet life does provide us with endless humiliations isn't it Old age is, is, you know, it's getting increasingly humiliating to my ego. Uh, It's not kind. (laughs) You know, so then uh, the the decrepitness of an aging body and and so forth is uh, is not, you know, isn't how the ego wants to be seen. You know, you're going to be seen as still vigorous, strong. Find yourself caving in, and and not walking so quickly, and your joints seizing up a bit. Things like this. And if your ego is strong, you know, not wanting to, to be considered old. Like we're very, you know, we're a youth, uh, raise youth to a high pinnacle of, of high, you know, that's what we'd like to be all the time, young and beautiful, forever. And yet, that's not the way it is. That reaches a peak, and then it's downhill. You you don't get younger. So then the the awareness, the Buddha pointed to old age sickness, death, as the messengers, they're the they're the things that that wake us up. Often times, being healthy and young and beautiful can make us very dozy. You know, we can we can have a lot of pleasure riding on those kind of conditions, identifying with them, but you can't sustain them. So the signs of old age or sickness. Disabilities, death and loss, separation, seeing the loved ones die, being around dying people, sick people, and so forth, are uh, are, they're the oftentimes for many of us the awakening, the awakeness to beginning to look at life, not complain about it and blame. God or whatever for it, but begin to: what is it all about? What is its purpose? What is its meaning? What is it all about, anyway? <clears throat> so when you start asking those questions, then you start—you can't get the answers from anybody, because you don't—you don't want an answer. You just uh, those very questions open you up because you have to stop just grasping and repeating the same things and start noticing, observing, witnessing, paying attention to all the habits you've already acquired, to the body, not not to complain about it because it's getting old and, and blame God for, for ruining your beautiful appearance, but to understand it. You know, we, we, we can't just take it for granted. Like when you're young and healthy you can take a lot for granted. You can make your body do anything you want almost. <clears throat> but then you can't sustain that. It? You, you, uh, it lasts for a while and then it, it, you can't do it anymore. The body will not <clears throat> do what you want. and then when you get into middle age and old age you know, it's not going to do what I want. It's it's going to be the way it is. So it's learning to 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 recognise this, to open to it, so it's not a, a rejection or a dismissal of it, but a, a willingness to to understand it, to learn from old age, sickness, death, separation, sorrow and grief. It's not a depressing thing that Buddhism is about suffering and grief and despair because that is really not understanding the the Buddha in any way decent at all. It's it's pointing to these uh, in order to awaken, to turn to, to understand rather than running away from them. Because the usual reaction is to run away from anything unpleasant, get away from it. As soon as we have pain in the body, give me, a, give me an anodyne, an analgesic, an aspirin, paracetamol, morphine, <laughs> anything. <Anyway. laughs> I can get rid of it as quickly as possible. Uh, you know, the, they want to get rid of any emotional discomfort or physical discomfort as quickly as possible is a a very natural reaction it's not unnatural but if that's all we do then, then our life is increasingly more difficult as you get older so the Buddha's advice was to understand it means to turn to something to understand something you have to accept it recognize it allow it to be what it is not try to complain about it because it, it isn't what you want but even if it's what you don't want at all you have you can understand it learn from it so then this is the practice of awareness sati Sampachanya. Then in the adventure realm of adventure, it's a, it's a, it's not like you just suddenly solve the problem and then it's an easy ride. It's it's it, you learn. You discover how to learn from the way it is as the things as the conditions change. So you, you know you you you're discovering or you're realizing, recognizing the way of understanding the conditions for what they are, the way it is. The suchness, the datada, the in Pali they use this datada, this, datakada. This word conveys the, what they are in translating as suchness or as is, the way it is. So it's it's not, you know, as soon as you want to label and judge the way it is, then it becomes more than what it is. You know, as soon as I name something, it's slightly more than what it is. It's learning to trust in the awareness before a name for anything comes up. It's kind of going into this empty state. Not disappearing into a, a void of nothingness, but recognizing... When the when the aware when the consciousness is quiet when you're not grasping anything when there's awareness of being before you you know you acclaim it or judge it or even name it when you give names to things then it then we go fall back into the old patterns of what I like, don't like, this is good and this is bad, this is right, this is wrong you know that so we, we we get into it's wrong, I'm right, you're wrong and we get caught back into the cycle of, of our super egos and our emotional habits so it, it, we get caught in this whirling cycle of samsara again so the way out of that is to is through awareness of it. So this uh, is to uh, encourage you, because it does. Because you know, trying too hard and uh, and always trying to get something from meditation, you know, you're you're not going to get what you want. So if you, you know, if you preconceive some goal of what you want you know, you're not going to get it, so it's going to be terribly disappointing. Some people feel very disappointed having meditated for years because they're always expecting to get something that they never quite get, or if they do get, they lose. Anything you get, you lose. There so even attainments in in concentration and all that, you're going to lose them, you can't sustain them. So, it's, it's a different, uh, you know, the, the, that attaining is a worldly condition, attitude, that's the way the world operates. Getting something, achieving something, becoming, is, uh, is, is the worldly mind uh, way of thinking the way we, we see ourselves, or even our meditation practice, or we even interpret Buddhism in those terms. Even though that's not what is that, but it doesn't work. If you're going to practice, it doesn't work like that. You don't attain. You don't get something. Or if you do, you, you lose it. You know, I've, I've, I've attained, you know, refined states and lose them uh, you know, so that, and then you keep and then you want them when you lose it, you know, and then you remember you want it again, so you go you try to get it again, you know you keep doing all the things that you remember doing, you know to to get those blissful states, and then. Um, Sometimes you might get it, <laughs> uh, you know, but you, you can't keep it. And after a while, you, you know, you get very into c- controlling everything. You've got to, you've got to control everything around you. So, to me, that isn't. I'm not interested in that. That, as such, always leads to kind of despair and disappointment. Anyway. So. What I found more useful is in the the awareness of that, of of trusting in this awareness in the here and now. Learning to recognize it, to really appreciate it, treasure it. So it's not like an attainment. It's through real by paying attention and learning to to recognize what grasping the what what how grasping. You know when you when you you can't do it. You're grasping something and you're trying to get something, or you you grasp the idea of what I'm saying, yeah and you don't see that you're grasping it. But as you begin to observe, just the the tension of grasping, of wanting, of not wanting, of trying, and all the rest. Then you begin to to see that the 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 attention that is sustainable is not through just you know willfulness. The some the right effort, right effort is is a balanced effort, not just a you know, me determining to get it. So it becomes more, more sense of open receptivity, kind of relaxed attention, a listening, an attunement to now, and and uh, really willing to look at things as they are. The anicca Dukkanata of the of sankharas. You know, th- those are the ways to investigate, to just notice the, the, the limitations of conditionality, So it's, you know, it is, its nature is, is like this, the grasping is, is the cause of the suffering. So it's the grasping of samsara, not sangsara even. So it's back to this grasping and then, then you see that grasping. How the, you know, whenever you're suffering, uh, you're unhappy, or upset, or angry, or depressed, or whatever. It's and you you know, your your grasping. I I know that I'm grasping something when this happens. If it, if it, you know, I can feel anger arise when the condition's safe <coughs> for anger. A present. Somebody hum- humiliates me personally. I can feel, I can still feel that rage arising. But I know better than to grasp it. There's a difference, isn't it? I'm not, the, the, the karma, I still have a karma with that, but it but yet, more and more the confidence comes in non-grasping. Then if I should lose mindfulness with it, then I start grasping it and I get warmed up with how dare they and into this raging mode. I know there's a point where I, I catch, I see I'm grasping and I practice letting go, relinquishing that. Not in suppressing, not in trying getting rid of, but really knowing. You know this. You can test out for yourself of relinquishing or letting something be, letting it be what it is, and then it goes naturally. it's nature's to cease. So you know, it, it don't don't be upset by the fact that even after years of meditation, you still feel anger or lust or things like this. Uh, it, uh, that's not the problem. It's the ignorance, the avijja, and the grasping out of that ignorance, so that we we have the, this uh, this awareness as our refuge. So, I offer this as a reflection for this evening.